Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and welcome to the show that digs deeper to understand what matters most in business. Thank you for joining us today. We've got a great conversation. We're going to be talking about the power of connection inside an organization, what the impact of that is on all, a whole host of metrics. And I'm pleased to welcome my guest today, Jason Butler, who is the founder of the Village Mindset Model. He's also the author of the book, The Village Mindset. Jason, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Before I get into the Village Mindset Model, I want to kind of start off with talking about this, this sense of belonging, uh, the power of connection in an organization. And I know you've got some science behind it. This isn't just some woo aspirational thing. So why don't we start off by maybe if you could share a little bit about the science behind that construct. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So like when we think about uh, humanity, human. Thousands and thousands and millions of years, really, as humans. And so over that time, we've evolved to really feel safe in certain situations, in certain environments. So, you know, we, we have stress, we fight, we flight. And so what alleviates that stress? And it's really about connection. It's about human connection. It's about empathy. And it's about compassion. And there are so there's so much research going on about the brain and really the impact of compassion and empathetic thought and action upon the brain, how that helps us. University of Wisconsin, yeah, Berkeley. The, all this are studying the, the impact and the power of what compassion can do to us. So there's a, there's there's actually this um, this vein that runs through our body, this nervous system. It's called the vagus nerve. It runs all through our body. We've sort of rediscovered it in, in the last 20 years. And what this is, some people call it the compassion nerve. And it runs all throughout our body. And when we hook you up to an MRI and we give you compassionate thoughts, what it does, it sends positive hormones all throughout your body. And we see increases in speech, speech function, digestion, lowers your, your blood pressure, increases your, your heart capacity. It fixes your immune system. And all that's based on just compassion. And so, like, there's this whole resource of compassion on the body, how it helps us alleviate stress, how it creates human connection. And, you know, a lot of times in the business world, we think, ah, you know, there's no place for compassion. But actually, we're seeing more and more when compassion enters the workplace, enters workplace leadership, we get better results. We get better connections, and it actually can drive our profits. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that because at the end of the day, really, we want to make sure that leaders understand that this is not just you know this woo-woo thing, right, that there is an, an <laughs> ROI. And we're going to get That's there, right. I promise you. We're definitely going to get into the numbers as well as behind the numbers on this topic because it's so important. But uh, talk a little bit about the, the village mindset. You know, we've all heard the expression, it takes a village. So what is the village mm -hmm. mindset and how, how did you come up with the village mindset model? Yeah, when we, you know, out of coming out of COVID, we're thinking about how do we do reality, right? I mean, we're like, wow, what a change in the world. And we are stressed out and disconnected. How do we even do life now coming out of this? And then we became in the business world and like, do we, do we go hybrid? Do we go in person? How do we do this? And then we began to hear this word belonging, right? We heard belonging was really important. And this sense, this emotion, this psychological safety that I belong to something bigger than myself. And so we began to think, how do we create this in organizations? And we've really struggled because 
it's nebulous. It's 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 hard to define. It's based on emotion and not uh, not profits and facts. It's it's like how do I feel about something, right? And so we began. I began to think about my experience in dealing with people. I come from a community based leadership where I deal directly with people over twenty years. How people think, how people act, how people navigate the world in front of them, and how do we get people together? to connect in order to collaborate, to do something great together. And so when I think thinking about that and like, how do we frame this in terms of what we can understand? I kept coming back to this idea of a village because in a village, we're all seen, known and valued. And we think about the science of this, like we humans evolved in villages. That's the way our brains are wired to think about how we work in a village. And in a village, everybody has a place. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a reason for being there and everybody's valued. So I was like, wow, this is great. What, what if we moved and shifted our minds, mindsets from this uh, profit over people, which we, which has dominated the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century into people over profit? And, and what would that look like? And I kept coming back to this idea of villages where this happens, of villages where this can work, of villages where this has worked. And so let's get smaller and think about how we can increase connection, belonging, and connectivity among in our organizations and in our world. So really develop this idea of a village mindset. Yeah, let me ask you this. You know, as we're now in a conversation, you know, economically around recession and what next year is going to look like, um, the the power of the pendulum has has shifted a little bit. You know, during the Great Resignation, mm -hmm. the powers with employees. And talking with a lot of leaders, they recognized that maybe there was a, a need to make a shift because they no longer had the control. And, and some of the conversations I'm having nowadays are a little bit more disconcerting in that these leaders are thinking now that maybe because we're in a recession, the job market isn't quite so great, the power has shifted back to them. And they're, they're changing their behaviors. So when you think about that, and you, as you mentioned before, you need to have the compassion muscle how do you reconcile the two? Yeah, you know, old old die, old, old habits die hard, right? And so we so easily slip back into those old patterns where we feel most comfortable. I, I, I've had so many conversations with with leaders, and over the past couple of years, and they they bring me and they say, "Hey, what we're what we're doing is not working anymore." And I come in and I say, "Well, let's let's really think about a servant leadership model or an employee empowerment model." And then they say, "Well, that's not going to work." <laughs> like, wait a minute. You said what you're doing is not working. I give you solutions on how to work and you say that's not going to work. Right. So it's a really hard thing to get out of our old habits. You know, the book, what, what got us here won't get us there. But we so rely upon what got us here. And it's really hard to change. I think right now we have an opportunity and we're going to see the really the, the, the cream come to the, the top in this conversation about recession. Leaders will have this tendency to fall back into how can we get the most out of our employees? How can we lessen our employee costs? How can we pay our employees less? How can we provide less benefits for them, bring down training, get rid of as much as we can for employee-based structures? But like we're not going to be in recession long. Right. Like this is what we know about life. We go into recession, but we come out of that. And I firmly believe that the leaders that, that push and take em employee benefits away and really try to get ahead by de degrading employees 
when we come out of this, they're going to be they're going to be behind the game, right? They're going to be behind the eight ball. People are not going to work for them, want to work for them. But the best leaders are going to be the ones that say, even though we're in this space, we're still going to value our employees. We're still going to create asset-based models, employee-based models for our people. We're going to help to create great cultures. And yes, we may need to find ways to creatively cut some costs around that, but it won't be from our people. Those are the leaders. When we come out of this, that will be positioned to propel their companies to the next level. Yeah, I mean, everything you said really resonates with me, right? Because if you think about it, as we went through the pandemic, I'd like to think that most leaders came to learn that the people really were their most valuable asset. That's what got them through the, the whole crisis of the day. And if they shift that thinking now because the pendulum has shifted, uh, yeah, people will vote with their feet when uh, everything recycles, as you pointed out. Uh, you used the term servant leadership, and that, that's yeah. something that we hear a lot about. And uh, you know, the Simon Sinek book, Leaders Eat Last, sort of personifies that. But how would you define servant leadership, and what's your recommendation for the folks who are watching and listening and how they can best implement that? Yeah, for me, servant leadership, uh, Greenleaf, uh, this guy named Greenleaf, last name Greenleaf, wrote this book, Servant Leadership, back in the 70s. It was really early on, and, and he was he was not a businessman. He was really in the social world and in the nonprofit world, and he defined it as, as thinking about, do people around me, do those around me become better? Do they grow? Do they become more successful? Do they advance in their careers, or do they not, right? Right. And so a servant leader is one that helps empower people to live their best lives, to advance, to exceed, to succeed. Those are servant leaders. Like I think about oh, this shift in servant leadership. And, and I, you know, I love college basketball. I love sports. And down here in North Carolina, where I am in Raleigh, like college basketball is king, you know, Duke. Carolina State, right? And and I have a doctorate from Duke, but I'm a Carolina fan because, like, you know, you, you bleed what you bleed, right? And so, but I love Coach K. Coach K is one of the greatest coaches ever. We know, right? And but what had there was a shift that happened in the early 2000s with his leadership. Like there was this rule called the one and done. And if you're familiar with sports, you know that this when this rule implemented, college students only had to go to school for one year and then they could jump to the NBA. But Coach K was sort of in this old system. He had won in this old system with um, Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner and Grant Hill. It was all about the program, right? You come here to Duke and you're going to play for the program. It's about the program. And he, he wanted those players that would stay three or four years. But what happened when we had this rule shift is he he stopped winning. Other coaches were recruiting the very best players that would only stay for one year, and he was reluctant to do so. But then he shifted, and this shift was remarkable. And so he moved from a program mindset to a player mindset, from program first to player first. And so now the players came in, and he basically sort of made this contract with them and said, you come play for me for one year. I'm going to make you the very best basketball player that I possibly can. I'm going to use my resources, my network, my wealth. The program is going to help you succeed and get to the next level. And what happened? He won. And he won and he won. And he had incredible players that jumped to the NBA. And you know what everybody saw? The rest of the players that were coming up, they saw that. And they said, we want to play for this guy because he will make us better. And he will get us to where we want to be. That's what servant leadership is about is about empowering people to get where they want to be, not where you want to be, or, or using them to get to where the company wants to be. 
but using the resources to leverage your networks in order to help the people get where they want to be, right? That's servant leadership. Yeah, and in that model, uh, to use your analogy, the players then become evangelists for the program. Uh, they yes. help in recruitment, and it all just continues to perpetuate. Uh, we're getting That's close right. to commercial here, Jason, but before we go to commercial break, tell us how, tell folks how they can connect with you if they want to learn more about you or the Village Mindset model. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, I'm on social media. The best way is through my website, which is the, the villagemindset.com. Awesome. Jason, you sit tight. You watching and listening. Don't go anywhere. We've got to pay a few bills here and behind the numbers, but we'll be right back after this quick break. Good. Didn't garnish. On the Chowdown Network. We can't wait to <laughs> Why are your mittens still on? She says. Please, God. That's weird. Okay. Dryer food, it's much better than our ability to actually do a take on television. We got you covered. Help me. Trust me, I can cook way better than I can act. Roll sound. Sound production, take two. Hi, I'm Kelly Lyons, the host of the Gourmet Mama. Rosemary chicken, made in 25 minutes. And we have this and many other recipes to feed your family wholesome, clean, delicious food that you can get done in 30 minutes or less. So whether you're making dinner at night or planning for a big dinner party at your house on the weekends, we got you covered. We have recipes on RVN Television, and we will be featured on the Chowdown Network at rvntelevision.tv. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and we're talking with Jason Butler today, who's the founder and creator of the Village Mindset Model. Uh, Jason, I want to start off the second segment by actually drilling into what comprises the Village Mindset Model. I think you've got several pillars uh, that's a part of your program. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. It, really, there's five principles of the village mindset broken down. And I, and I really frame these as sort of like if we were in a village and, and all of them were houses, right? In a village, you have, you have your pub, you have your church, you have your city building, and, and all of them serve a purpose. And really, what the five are, are empowerment, support, connection, purpose, and social investment. And so really those, and they go around and they work cyclically and each one of them builds on the other one. Empowerment is all about what I talked about, servant leadership, of how do we make our people better? How do we use our networks? How do we network them, empower them, give them the resources that they need to succeed? Support to me is about uh, how do we support them in our workplace? Communication wise, moving from a, from a golden rule to a platinum rule, a golden rule, which says, uh, let's treat other people like I want to be treated. Well, that's, that's all about me. And, it, and like that, that puts me at the center of everything. A platinum rule is I, I want to treat people the way that they want to be treated. Right. So that means I got to know them and what they need and their dreams in life and connecting with them. The, for the Sherwood is connections, which to me is about collisions. How do we connect people with other people 
that are like-minded people that are interested in what they're interested in so they can begin to dream. The Silicon Valley, why, why did these hubs grow like Silicon Valley, Detroit back in the early 20th centuries? Because entrepreneurs come together and they begin talking to one another. They begin having ideas and dreams and then those birth new dreams and new ideas. And so how do we do that within the workplace? How do we create places where our employees can connect with other employees because that, that's that's going to drive profits out the out the windows when our employees are having new ideas in, in terms of productivity and advancement purpose right how do we create purpose in our workplaces where people feel like i want to go work i like working there this stat that's crazy is that recently um we we saw last year's stat came out that people are will, willing to take twenty thousand dollars less in their yearly salary to work at a place that they felt a strong purpose, a social purpose for. Like, wow, that's crazy. And so the last one is social investment. How are we, which dovetails on purpose, and really is like, how are we as a company investing in our community and then giving our employees the opportunity to invest in our community? And so this, this is so much, drives so much in terms of marketing, social impact, um, purpose-driven. It drives connection and also empowerment. So these come back and they work constantly with one another. So those those are really the, the five principles of the village mindset. Yeah, and you go into those in great detail in the book. Is that correct? Yep, absolutely. Sure do. Right. But you're, you're also doing uh, programs, right, for leaders? Yep, I, th that's what I do. I come in. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking. I do keynote speeches, but I also do like consulting in terms of let's get you, let's get your leaders together, your employees together, and let's go through some workshops here. We're we're going to kind of get out of the old mindset and really have an imagination for a new mindset. And I do two hour, four hours, half days work with executive leaders and managers in order to really how do we bring this village mindset into our company in a way that creates new culture creates servant leadership culture, creates culture of belonging and empowerment of employees. And that's really good stuff, honestly. And, and every leader that I talk to who has implemented a strategic and intentional culture change has told me that it, it takes time before employees really mm -hmm. start to recognize that you know, this is the real the new way of living here, that this isn't just yep. another fad, um, 18 to 24 months typically. Talk a little bit about what your experience has been in implementing the village mindset model inside of these organizations and maybe overcoming some of the, the skepticism and maybe the fear that, uh, frankly, everybody may have as they're embarking on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Like th this, this can be hard, right? And it is, I've seen varying sort of uh, reluctance or acceptance of, of the sort of mindset. This is a shift. It, it's, it's a real change. But I think we've changed and the leaders are recognizing that things have changed. We saw a shift in COVID. Things aren't ever going to go back to the way that they were. Like we're in a hybrid environment in some way, right? Forever. Like that, that's, that, that's where we are. And so how then do we engage with employees? So it takes time. Lots of times when I see, when I first come in, I start talking about these ideas. There's a lot of, there's a lot of walls that are up. A lot of leaders who are like, no, this, this is, you're wrong. This is not going to work. This is not what we learned. But as we talk through it and I see those walls begin to come down and, and really as they begin to operate in these, they see it benefits them. Right. And that's the key. That's really the shift that I see happening. Uh, what I say is all interest is self-interest. And like when the leaders see like this is in my best interest, 
to treat my employees like this, to embrace servant leadership, to create cultures of belonging and empowerment. That actually benefits me as a leader. I'm going to get recognition. I'm going to rise. Then they begin to be more open to it, right? And when they see the benefits for themselves. And that's that's when things really start to move is when people see the personal ROI in their own career and their own companies. Yeah, speaking of ROI, unfortunately, we're getting down to the short strokes here, so we only have a couple of minutes to go. But I, I want you to speak to the ROI that the businesses that you've worked with have experienced. Yeah, I mean, the, the number one is in terms of employee retention and, and engagement, right? I mean, it, it it's a, takes a lot of money to rehire an employee, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to rehire one employee. And so what we see here is that when we have great cultures, people stay, and they stay longer. And not only that, in this really hard environment of employee attraction, talent acquisition, people ask their employees. They want to work in places that they're going to be satisfied, that their cultures are great. That's a thing now. And so that we increase our retention, increase our attraction, but also we increase our productivity because we're creating empowerment. We're training our people. Like a lot of times I, I heard this and this is not mine, but I, I saw it, like this reluctance of saying, well, what if we, what if we invest in our employees and they leave? Well, what if you, what if you don't invest in your employees and they stay like, whoa. Right. And so like, we need to invest in our employees regardless and just be happy that, OK, if they don't stay, they don't stay. They weren't going to stay anyway, but we'll reap the benefits because the rest of the employees will benefit from that. And so always be investing in our employees. Like, the ROI is constant. And a lot of this is opportunity costs. Like we're losing out if we're not investing in our people and empowering our people. And we won't ever know what we didn't know until we invest in our people. And then we see our profit margins rise, our employee acquisition rise, our costs go down in terms of stress, sick days, um, and our productivity rise. So this is all positive benefits for leaders. Yeah, and that's what I talk about all the time. And if you know anything about me, I've written a couple of books on the topic about the value that people contribute to an enterprise. And what, what you're describing here is consistent with every interview that I've ever done with anybody who's done this intentional culture shift. Uh, Jason, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I, I can't thank you enough for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Thanks for having me. This is great. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. And we've been talking with Jason Butler today, who's the creator of the Village Mindset Model. Also, he's the author of the Village Mindset. Definitely check that book out. You can get it wherever you get your books or wherever you download. Uh, again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I help my clients in valuing their businesses and helping them to increase the value of those businesses. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. And I want to thank everybody out there watching and listening. Can't do the show without you. Crush that subscribe button so you can stay in touch with everything that we're up to and you get notified when the next episode drops. That's all we have for today, folks. Take care. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers.